0: I'm matchmaker Maria, the founder of Agape Match. For over a decade, I've combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, I answer your dating and relationship questions and interview experts to give you the tools to find or keep the love of your life. This is Ask a Matchmaker. This week's guest is Humble the Poet. He is a Canadian-born rapper, spoken word artist, poet, internationally best-selling author, and former elementary school teacher, What began as reciting spoken word poetry in coffee shops to impress girls, evolved into a creative adventure that has spanned the last 10 years, crossing genres, mediums, and oceans. His first two releases unlearn and things nobody can teach us have become international bestsellers you can visit him at humblethepoet.com. humble welcome to the ask a matchmaker podcast
1: thank you so uh, much for having me
0: your book comes out next week this is so exciting yes. the book is how to be loved
1: how to be loved
0: i'm like obsessed with it already i got a little sneak peek so i want to talk about it But tell me a little bit more like the background here. You know, I see here that you're an elementary school teacher turned rapper, spoken word artist, poet. You have like a massive following on YouTube and, you know, the rest of the social media gang. Um, How did that background set you up for, you know, being able to not only understand love, but articulate love?
1: Yeah, I think it started as when I was an elementary school teacher. I think the big lesson I took from all of that was how to package things. And make it digestible for anyone to kind of understand so you know you're teaching a bunch of eight-year-olds you know addition and subtraction or word problems or what have you you know what you realize is nothing's too complicated for them it really is just about how you package it for them and that really started to impact how I communicated with people and I was always making music and I think the longer I spent in the classroom the more the simpler my music even got in my lyrics and when I got to a point where You know, it wasn't sustainable for me to be in the studio all the time. I just started writing. And, uh, you know, the first thing I wrote was, um, you know, lessons I needed to learn in my own life and mistakes that I had been making and kind of processing them, you know, probably journaling before I could afford a therapist. And I kind of figured out that a lot of the stuff that I was enthusiastic about doing was unlearning. you know. So instead of really grabbing new ideas, it was kind of challenging the older ideas and why we have them. And that's kind of been my journey up until this point, it's just like unlearning things that we've been taught, and um
0: give me an example. like what I feel like I've been part of this journey to unlearning something. So I would love to hear about your journey. Like give me an example of something that you had to unlearn.
1: Um, more than one. So I mean, I guess you know, overall it was you know if I treat people well that doesn't you know instantly entitle me to be treated well, mm. you know the nature that's not how the nature of the world works you know just because i wouldn't eat a lion doesn't mean the lion's not going to eat me so it was really about divorcing myself from this idealistic romanticized view of life you know i think in in terms of love because you know we're here to chat about that um, one of the big ones is love is fuel not glue i think very often people believe in you know love will keep them together but love is what motivates people to work to stay together um you know, the, the spark, I know you've, you mentioned the spark as well, being bullshit, you know, it's just, it it's, is.
0: it's It's your fight do or flight. You agree?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, yeah, it's your fight or flight. It's, uh, it's letting you know that somebody matches the flavor of some previous trauma you have and probably the foundation of mommy and daddy issues. So oh God, let's talk
0: about this. Cause I know right now people are soaking this up. So yesterday I got a question from a woman. Yeah. Um, I do ask a matchmaker Wednesdays. People ask me questions and, you know, I reply with it's infotainment on my end mm-hmm. uh, and someone at someone, I, f- I forget the wording of it right now, but it was something along the lines of like, I've been dating this person for um, six weeks. They check all the boxes, but I just don't listen. I just feel bored And I, and, <laughs> and, and, and they didn't use in those words. They were like a no. little bit more innocuous, but I remember thinking like if they check all the boxes, And you just feel bored and they're not boring. That's on you. So like, to me, I immediately started saying like, you gotta, you know, one of the things that studies have shown from the NIH, from the National Institute of Health in the United States has shown that if you were to inject dopamine into a relationship once a month, it has lasting effects. And I mentioned like going to go to a, co- going to a comedy club, going to see an action film, going to an amusement park, like these things inject the dopamine that we need. Mm-hmm. And it's like what you just said, the flight or fight mode. It's like everyone's looking for like this anxiety. That's just so toxic. I mean, tell me what you see. I, I love talking to other people that examine love this way. So,
1: yeah, I, I think what I realize is, you know, how much we're influenced by outside factors to kind of determine what we think is important to us. And it's like at the end of the day, you know, a healthy relationship should feel peaceful. You know, there should be moments of excitement that you can um, voluntarily, as you said, voluntarily inject the dopamine in this controlled excitement. Let's go to a concert. Let's go on vacation. Let's do something really cool. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, so often we're watching Disney movies. We're watching porn. We're watching Ross and Rachel. And the only way for a lot of these things to keep our attention is for it to be these cat and mouse games or for them to be hyper normal or for them not to reflect what a day to day life is. And especially in the films, like the, the films don't show you the lulls and the gaps. They just show you the highlight reels. And then right. you're comparing, you know, other people's highlight reels with your behind the scenes and not understanding that we don't have full access to what's really happening in other people's lives. So for me, it's it's really understanding that you know healthy relationships and the healthiest relationships I know would never make for great TV because right. they're not the most eventful, but they are peaceful and everybody in them feel great. So you know it is you know as as I took a deep dive into attachment styles and understanding a lot of this, you start to realize that yeah, this spark you know it it, it goes it, it goes in the same category to me as like salty fast food. It's delicious in the short term but it's not nutritious and too right. much of it over the long term is just going to chip away at you
0: i love the analogy because that that's essentially what that is like when you yeah that's a it's a salty mm. ass fry uh from mcdonald's when burger king is far superior i will die on this on that hill do you have burger king you're in canada right
1: i know i'm in I'm, I'm canadian but i live in la oh okay
0: But that's yes funny. we do
1: have burger king in canada we have everything you have here and we have more
0: you just have better people there i have such yeah. an affinity for canadians it's funny because like i'll meet with clients sometimes and i'm like they're canadian and like i say it like a <laughs> let's have some creme brulee like this is this is it so i, I love that's, that that's, uh,
1: we have one tenth the population we have we have the space to be nice That's what
0: and way less guns uh wait <laughs> wait um yeah
1: we have we, we have more guns per person but way less guns in total
0: yeah, yeah. um that's interesting um, so you know, to kind of go back to like attachment theory, when you started deep diving, did you deep dive in like when you were a teacher? Because you know, I've been getting lately, and I'm I'm gonna uh, I'll definitely have on this colleague of mine in a few months. But I've been deep diving into conscious matchmaking, and one of the things that I've been learning about myself in the last six months is that I have even an attachment. Like I might be a secure person, but like I have an attachment style to my client, to someone I'm helping, and so do my employees. Mm. And it's just like sometimes it's because of the client, but also because of our own like experiences. And I think sometimes it has to do with like, here's expectation and here's reality. And I think what my team does sometimes like we're giving that dose of reality. And I think when you were a school teacher, you have to tell me, but like you see a reality that a child is living in from a different lens than the parents,
1: yeah, completely. It's you know, it's it, it is super interesting from that standpoint because it, you know, not only do you see this different reality of the child living in from the parent, you see, you start to understand the reality that you were living in as a kid, you mm. know, you start to get reminded about how, I think one of the first things I remember is I was, when I was a student teacher, at still in university training to be a teacher, uh, I did six months in the first grade. And I remember telling the kids, and this is in Toronto, being like, put on your boots and your snow pants We're going outside. And then you watch a bunch of six-year-olds put on their boots and then struggle to put the snow pants on they took it in the order you gave them the information right and then you realize like okay well they're literally empty vessels and at some point i was completely an empty vessel so so many so much of the information preferences desires and things that i have you know there's a really good chance that a lot of this was socialized into me you know and, and for me it's not a nature versus nurture argument it's how do nature and nurture work together but i think it was a, it was a massive reminder that at some point there was nothing going on in here And everything was uh, explored and exposed and, and soaked up through my experiences, through the adults that raised me and realizing that all the adults that raise us are, you know, they're flawed human beings as they, as they will be. And we can't hold that against them.
0: When did you learn that like your parents are flawed?
1: Oh man. I mean, I might've learned that like probably in high school. I mean, my parents were immigrants, so they were, they were asking, you know, we were we we felt like their parents very quickly. Just yeah, for, same. You know the language difference and technology. My dad
0: still doesn't speak English.
1: Yeah, my like mom. Yeah, crazy yeah. to me.
0: Like I'm like, how do you not speak English? You had it. He had a business for thirty years.
1: Like they, how? Yeah. Like they have, they have. Yeah, they have their world. And then I try to wrap my head around trying to go to a different country and 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 learn that language and being like, what I? How long would it take for me to figure it out? It 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 it's definitely bananas with them. And even me, I go back home every couple of months. And they'll just wait until I get there to like, Oh, I have this notification on my iPad. I don't know how to make it go away. And like, you've been staring you. at that for like three months waiting for every, me to come home.
0: I swear to you, every time we go, my, my husband's parents live in Greece and mm-hmm. every time we go the first, like people are like, Oh, you're so lucky you're going on vacation. I'm like, stop. I'm going to visit my in-laws. This is a trip. And mm-hmm. the first five days is playing not only tech support, but like <laughs> errands like we are going out to like oh this light has been flickering I need you to fix it like I get that I totally get what you're saying to go back to like you know I, I really love this idea that you know you come from a place of teaching and yeah. you know who you are now today and I'm very curious to see like you know we learn what love is from these flawed human beings that are you know in our eyes as kids they're divine yeah. right there are yeah. gods yeah. and to me it's like I think I would love to learn, like, do you see when you were a teacher, could you see how kids are being loved at home based on their interactions with you and other students in the class?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, one of the inconvenient truths that I that I realized in, in my career, and this doesn't reflect every single child or every single teacher, but this is just my unique experience in the years that I was teaching. I never once had a student who was struggling academically who had a good family life, you know?
0: Okay, hold up. Say that one more time. You never?
1: I never had a a student who was struggling, like a struggling student. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were struggling academically. They were struggling behavior-wise. And then when you saw their family life, they had a good family life.
0: Right. So I,
1: I never had a kid who was just, you know, they had a cognitive issue. They had whatever. It was, oh, I could always see the relationship between what was going on at home and what was happening in the classroom.
0: Yeah, yeah lack and of consistency
1: a, and a lack of consistency and all of that, you know and 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 I and I taught in a in a part of Toronto that was a needy, a needy neighborhood. So you had young parents, you had new immigrant parents, you had all of that. So again, not holding it against them, but you can start to you could start to see kind of the relationship with how much our environments impact us, whether we know it or not. and going back to the idea that, You know, I don't know if we learn love from our parents, but I think our first understanding of what we think love is comes from those who raise us. Totally. Um, And we're doing it with limited brain capacity. So, you know, being ages six to 15 or what have you, your brain's still forming, but we're looking at the world in terms of black and white, you know, it's, it's a very dualistic world that we can understand life in. And as we become adults, we can understand life way more. Um, we can see the gray in between. We can see a lot more in between. Um, but we don't update any of our understandings, you know, um, intentionally. So there's a challenge for a lot of us because a lot of us grew up with parents who had other things going on. We Mm -hmm. didn't process that. So if they were having a bad day or if we did something that upset them, or we were the, the, you know, we were the straw that broke the camel's back, not realizing we were, um, That really sends a message to us that, oh, you have to earn affection. You have to earn attention. You have to earn love. And then you have so many people as adults, they chase that.
0: Starving for emotional acceptance and acknowledgement.
1: Because if somebody gives it to you, then it feels foreign. So they they push, you know, we ignore those who adore us and adore those who ignore us. Right. And we push, we push that away. And this is all happening on a subconscious level because we haven't like sat down with a journal and just wrote this stuff out and be like, why am I attracted to the unavailable people? And it's like, we think it's a a type. It's like, no, it's because you probably grew up in a house where you always felt like you had to earn love. And now you want to keep that going. We'll always lean towards familiar uh, instead of what's healthy.
0: I mean, we also, I feel like, tell me if you think this is correct, but I feel like I've witnessed that we're also attracted to familiar chaos. Like think about when your parents fought when you were like eight years old, or even if you're maybe a parent was missing and that inconsistency when you're eight years old and there's like stress, you're now 25 years old. You're in an adult relationship. That chaos is similar, but because you are familiar with the walls of that chaos, you're comfortable. Like you yeah. can logically say this is a bad relationship, but you'll stay in it because you're like, well, I understand it
1: yeah. on a yeah, subconscious I- level. I think I have a friend who's, who who has become who grew up in a, in a bad neighborhood with a single parent, mm. and they've since become extremely successful. I mean, very 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 successful, and they still eat a dollar box of mac and cheese for dinner, right? And they could it's afford comfort a pri- food. Comfort food. They could afford a private chef.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, and what I realize is it's that familiarity. It's, it's, this is like chemicals. This is like trash. Yeah. What they're it's, eating. Uh... But-
0: it's called imprinting. Um, Dr. Harvey, I think his name is Henry. He wrote a whole book about this, but mm. it's, uh, it's that's what it is. It's, I mean, just like that comfort food, comfort love.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, that's it's what's familiar.
0: And I feel like that's what that phrase means. Like when people say, like, "Oh, daughters marry their fathers and sons marry their mothers." It's like it's. I rem- I don't know about your dating um, experiences or past, but like I remember there was in my early twenties I kept dating men who would have the poor conflict resolutions of my father. Mm. Like I was getting into the same fights my mother would get into when I when I was growing up. And it was only to like consciously was like, I don't want to marry my dad. Like mm. I don't want like I love my dad. He's a great grandfather to my kids and he's a great father to me. And I just don't want that relationship. Like, yeah. I want someone who's like this. And I feel like once I made that, suddenly all of my dating decisions changed. Mm. So, you know, I'm seeing you now, humble. like you're coming here with all of this, like nuggets of wisdom and you've written a book. And I want to talk more about that in a second. But like, do you feel like when you're shaping your conscious thought um, over the last, you know, 10 years that you've started making different dating and relationship choices?
1: Um, I mean, I wasn't figuring it out that early. Um I think now I am definitely um and I think it was not just my parents. I think I also have two sisters and I think okay. the one the younger older? They're both older. Okay. Um, yeah, so both older and I was the little bratty brother. So there was I, I'm and I'm and I'm only realizing this recently like there there was such a disconnect between us where obviously they don't want to be, you know, hanging out and conversing with their little brother. So I didn't know what was happening in their lives or what have you. But I think one of the, the two, the two things I learned, I feel a lot later than I should have having sisters in my house. Is I didn't realize that women wore makeup. My sisters really didn't wear makeup. And, you know, the, you know, the first time making a, an inappropriate comment, like, why do you look so tired today? And, and really, they're just not wearing makeup. Like, right. That, that, that the, uh, that wasn't something I grew up seeing right like my sisters they they were just you know they I don't know why they didn't I feel like even now only one does but like that wasn't something you know maybe I, I would only That's know their the choice or something it yeah. was their choice yeah. yeah but it wasn't yeah they weren't spending a lot of time where I could see a, a, a difference in terms of what they look like with makeup or without and the second so why do you thing look
0: was, so tired did you say this to someone you were dating
1: maybe what was their <laughs> reaction I think they just shrunk to like a an inch, like like oh. they became a little ball. And then I was like, "What did I say?" Yeah, it's <laughs> not. And then also, you know, learning that my opinion matters—that's still something I, I I wrap my head around with, especially with the women in my life, friends, family, and everything. That my opinion matters because I was the youngest, and nobody cared what I had to say for so what? long. Yeah, like, so that I was an never... interesting thing. Yeah, this
0: is crazy. I have never even thought of that before.
1: And the and the other one is. There was such a, and and, and this is, again, there was such a disconnect with me and my sisters, not because we...
0: How much older are they?
1: One's only a year older, one's only five, but I think it was more... The gender dynamic. The the gender dynamic. So until this day, we're great. Me and my sisters have never had any major conflicts. As adults, we get along very well. I'm still their only brother. They're my biggest advocates. They push my books. They do all this great stuff. They're super proud of me. But that affection wasn't there when we were young when we were right. young I was just the brother and get out of my room stop paying attention to my phone calls type situation I didn't I didn't know time of the month that wasn't something that I was aware of at all I think I learned that through dating I didn't mm. know about I didn't how know old about, are we
0: learning about this hold on I'm,
1: I'm talking about maybe first year university second Shit. year university. Like- yeah yeah but then also like and, and that also became like the first time I like, really, Oh my God, like these, these women who I continually prop up on pedestals, like these Topanga's of my life. Topanga. They're, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just flawed. They're flawed human beings that can be goofy and, 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 make mistakes and, you know, say the wrong things. And I think up until that point, I always, it was always, I think my sisters, I don't know if they hid that part, but they were, we were just, there was such a disconnect where these weren't things I noticed. I saw my sisters fight a lot with each other and, you know negotiate who got to to use the curling iron and the blow dryer or whatever the hell they were were arguing over but i remember like learning like the inconsistencies of human beings but i had not seen a lot of that through women up until i I became an adult even though you
0: lived with women like
1: how interesting is
0: that imagine what that dynamic how different the dynamic would be if you were the eldest brother
1: yeah like there might
0: have been more um I predict that there might have been more regard for your opinion because you were getting into high school first or like, Oh, he's going to protect me. Like then it was just like, Oh, my little brother, he's just growing. Yeah. Like, you don't, you know, stay out of this. It's that's so interesting. One of my most favorite TikTok accounts lately has been this one called Roe versus bros. Have you seen this? It's where a woman no, interviews yeah. men on the street and she asks them questions about women's bodies. Yeah. And it, all it does is just it, for me, it just, uh, tells me that like women should have absolutely zero uh decision making power when it comes to like women's healthcare issues because like she'll ask them like how many fallopian tubes does a woman have yeah. um and they'll be like seven
1: yeah.
0: or like how many tampons does a woman go through and they'll be like one a day so yeah. five and I'm like what like like yeah. you know it's like why are you know whatever uh it's that's uh inter- like, did your parents ever talk to you about sex or dating no
1: no, no not at all yeah
0: I mean, yeah. yeah. What immigrant family does.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, same. I'm saying none of that happened. So I think for me um, and also my sisters were extremely high achievers. Like we, uh, they were very high achievers. So I think also just my assumption of just what women were, was completely different. Um, and then when I started dating, like the girls that I dated were always intimidated by my sisters, even though my sisters were not they never played a role of trying to be intimidating. I think just them having their life together the way they had them or the presentation that they had um, since, and, and now that we're a lot older, you know, I I, I can see my sisters as the, the vulnerable, beautiful, flawed human beings that they are. And, you know, they've gone through some real shit in their lives and we've had to be there for each other and all of that. But I think, you know, that in terms of the familiarity, I think there was that, you know, and learning about, you know, my, my last serious relationship, you know, my ex would tell me about her friends and how they kind of had that Miss Maisel. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the first episode of Miss yeah. Maisel, that Miss Maisel thing where they waited for the husbands to fall asleep before they took the makeup off. Right. They woke up before I put the makeup on. Yeah. And it was like at that I know level. people like, like that. And I'm like, yeah, are
0: living lie.
1: Yeah. And then. Be and vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah. And I think that and, you know, what I've learned through therapy is, you know, I crave a level of depth that I sabotage by not being vulnerable. And, you know. So there's a, a challenge there even in myself because you know although I had a, you know a mother I grew up in a household with a mother and two sisters, I right. also had a father who you know was subconsciously signaling that vulnerability was weakness.
0: I think a lot of, I think traditional gender norms uh, mm-hmm. are something that are kind of breaking down with our the next generation, like I see, like, even with my kid, it's so funny. I messaged one of my friends yesterday about this. Um, so my son, um, he's five and yeah. he's in his second year of ballet and tap. And I took him to see the Rockettes on Monday. Mm. Um, one of my friends there, she's like the leader there. So I was like, Oh, you get to meet her after. And he's just like really excited. And he's, you know, a free spirit, whatever. And the amount of DMS I got from people, I don't know who were like, he's so lucky. When do you say it's so nice that you let your, your son be himself, which to me is like a microaggression because it's like, they're telling me it seems like your son is gay and it's so nice that you're letting him be who he is. And I don't know my son's sexuality. That's gross. He's five. Like, why are you like, there's other ways to say, you know, good for you for supporting his spirit, which is, you could say that, or you could say, seems like Yanni had a great day or you know, he seems like he's having a lot of fun or, you know, it's so great that he likes dance. The whole, like, it's nice that you let him be himself. And I think, I don't think people mean to make it a microaggression, but it goes back to like what you're saying, it's like your parents teach us these like gender norms yeah. from our generation and the previous generations. And it's like, what am I supposed to say to a five-year-old? No, you can't tap dance. Like, that's not, like, that's weird to me to say that to someone.
1: Yeah, and I think the irony of it too is, you know, they you know, the message that you're getting, I think they're still looking at it from a surface level where, you know, the real the real dangers are around shame and sexuality and shame and sex. Totally. And for, for, and for a five-year-old, for my understanding is, uh, as through my training as a teacher, that doesn't manifest in sexual conversations, that just manifests in what we consider gross. So we're not supposed to tell our kids that anything they do or say is gross. So if they want to right. talk about poop, for example, you don't say, don't speak about that. Like oh, no, we don't we talk pre- about poop all day here. Yeah, we, we don't allow that. We don't allow topics to be taboo, which right. is the first step into healthy sexuality for them, right. growing up, irrespective of what direction they take their, their, their life sexually. I think that is a dramatically more important conversation, which is not shaming them into having exploring that world more so than what we consider oh, well, tap dancing means that you're this or, you know, and, and it's just and, so weird to like yeah. hear
0: people that I, like, and then I, and it's so funny because uh, on Tuesday I picked him up from school and he said that, you know, this girl was chasing him at the playground and the way he said it. And I remember thinking, I remember I almost caught myself. I was like, I think in a different, I think if I had said this 30 years ago to my parents, maybe someone would have said, oh, does he like you? Or is that your boyfriend? And I, and, you know, I was like, you're not going to ask a five-year-old does she like you just be like, I just asked them, how did that make you feel? Like, that's exactly, that's all I asked. And he was like, well, Mm -hmm. I was really tired. I really, you know, I started sweating and it's so cold outside. So I need to get my hat. And I was like, Oh, okay. So she was just chasing you. Got it. Like, I don't have to, but you see the push. Right. And I think those are ways that we do learn love in a very heteronormative way that we're subconsciously doing constantly. Yeah, And yeah. it that does reflect as adults, like what we think is proper and improper. And you picked up on something just now where it's like when we shame this sort of stuff, I think that is where deviance begins. Right. Because yeah. it's like, but I don't know, I'm not I'm not an expert on all that, but those are just like my hypo hypothesis.
1: But I, I think I think the importance of this conversation more is just bringing it, bringing the awareness, being like, right. oh, you know, because I think oftentimes we a lot of the important decisions and habits we develop and make happen very young as coping totally. mechanisms for the chaos that we're experiencing, that we can't process because our brains aren't there. And then we just never upgrade the software. We never upgrade, you know, the, the, the big joke in the South Asian one is, you know, your parents don't let you date you know, they threaten to kill you if they <laughs> find you. And then you turn twenty
0: seven. You're like, "Where is your wife? Where is yeah. your husband? Like, yeah, where what?
1: are they?" And you, yeah, and you're like, "When yeah. did you upgrade the law? Like, when when right. did this change?" You know, this happens
0: in the Greek community too. Like, I yeah. have, uh, I'll meet women all and men all the time, and they're like, "My dad and mom never allowed me to go." I remember one woman; her parents would drop her off at college. They would wait in the parking lot, and then they would take her home. Like, she was not allowed to socialize. And then she turns twenty six, and her parents are like, "Why aren't you married?" Yeah. like well you didn't even let me have a co-ed relationship what do you mean get married
1: (laughs) why aren't you married with your with you know with your one hand tied behind your back social skills now yeah and all the other things that you know need need to happen now now as an adult you're gonna have to go through your first heartbreak and and all these different things that you know are kind of essential to this journey um what do you
0: think to, to kind of piggyback off that now like obviously our parents do wrong things what do you think most of us are doing wrong when it comes to love
1: um I think where we are now in, in, in 2023 is I think a lot of us prioritize being likable. I think we think being liked is more important than being loved. And, you know, that's um,
0: the ending of how, that's how I end my shows. You know that, right? What do you say? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you why. I'll explain why. But I write, uh, I end the show every uh, every week by saying, be lovable, but more importantly, be likable. But there's a reason why I say it like that. Okay. Do you want to know? Yeah. So, you know, I think when, I think it's very easy to fall in love with someone, but I think it is really hard to like someone for the next 30 or 40 years of your like life, which means mm. that you've got to do things that are likable. And so do they, so that way you can share in that experience with each other of your own separate lives when you're together. So that it's like always, you're always dating your partner.
1: Yeah. yeah. But
0: tell me, I mean, I agree on your stance here too. So I, there's both sides here. So tell me a little bit more about how we invest more on being likable instead of being lovable.
1: Well, I, I love how you framed it too, because it's like in the long term of a relationship, you have to prioritize liking the person. And I've heard parents what? say, "I love my kids, but I don't like them," and I think there's there's a hilarity oh, yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, I think I, I guess I'm 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 speaking from like the beginning, like your first yeah. date. You know. Tell and, me uh, more. So we we prioritize being liked, and you know some of the things that we do to be liked. Um, th- this is a conversation I, I had recently with with another friend. is realizing that. For example, women should not be competing over men. It's, 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 oh it's wow, a, we're
0: going to like the the we're going to the deep end. Okay, yeah, hold up, tell me more.
1: It's it's an instant loss. Like there isn't there isn't there isn't a, there isn't a there isn't a structure to that competition that makes you a winner because generally the the way women are gonna the way a woman can successfully take a man from some somebody else is to just have less boundaries and. That's, that ends up why women should, women's power comes in them being, the, them being the choosers, them saying no, them deciding, you know, they're the selectors, you know, and men have to compete to be selected women, women, the the, the dynamics of things are different in that capacity. So if, if two women are competing, it's, it's really going to become who can drop their boundaries quicker. Right. You know, and then I
0: mean, you see this in the animal world and humans are, you know, animals too. So you, we do see this like in studies, like, you know, if you uh, were dating in China where there's more women than men, Uh, men have to compete for a mate. And that's where you say, like, you see women saying stuff like if he doesn't have an apartment, if he doesn't have a car, I'm not going on a date with him. And then you go to places like Miami, where there are way more women than men or in Manhattan, where there are more straight women than men, straight men. And you see that it turns into like harem, like suddenly it's like, you know, men are very dismissive of women. They have the paradox of choice running against them um yeah
1: which yeah which which and again it's less less a conversation about what's the right way or the wrong way but i think it's also just a conversation of how it's been in the transition of 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 how that's changing so for example saying you know if we go to china and the women have all these demands of what the men need to be most of those demands again they're not making a man lose himself he needs to have an apartment he needs to have a job he needs to have yeah a good, it's you know, not status. like
0: become cool girl
1: yeah And not, uh, i'm not losing myself in the process making myself more uh desirable in 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 in, in the the dating pool right um, whereas you know as i said if, if two women are competing you know reducing your boundaries will be a go-to that's that's choosing being likable over lovable because you know that's going to impact your self-love you know, when you when you don't show your teeth and don't establish your boundaries and don't say no, um, that's going to lead to resentment. That's going to lead to um, having to, you know, compensate for that in, in other capacities. So I think that's a really important thing. So when I talk about likable, um, I mean in the sense that, you know, we... We derive our value in relation to the people around us, but that was an important That was an important feature when we were in smaller communities. We were in communities of 100 people, and your acceptance by the community directly impacted your ability to actually live, right? And you can understand where you stood in the hierarchy in a tribe of 100, 200 people. Right. Um, Stephen Presfield talks about this, and he goes, he doesn't have the exact number, but he knows the number is probably like middle school. You know where you are in the hierarchy of middle school. He goes it's impossible to understand your hierarchy in manhattan and what right. that's doing is that's jumbling our wiring because we, we we're we constantly chasing being top dog but there's no we don't even know where the ladder is to climb you know let alone because right. and, and and i think all of us see this even in our careers where it's like you you hit a certain level then it opens you to a whole new world it's like oh wow there's a whole new there's a whole new level to yeah. this and so chasing that hierarchy and compound you know, that
0: with like different regions and different cities. Like one of my colleagues just spoke at some big event in Mexico city. And like the woman hosting is like the Oprah of Mexico. And I don't know who this part, like, I'm just like, what? Like, what's ha-? like, you know, so exactly. yeah, I totally, yeah. You don't know the hierarchy of multiple, you know, it also, I think what also you're touching on with the likability factor is uh, it reminds me of, have you ever read the book or watched the movie uh, gone girl? Yeah. Do you know the cool girl monologue that the main character It's like
1: not at the top, but uh
0: so I think a lot of my listeners might know it, but like the cool girl monologue is basically um where she says, like, you know, you create this likable character for men to want right which is like i can drink a beer and i can have a pizza but i'm also really thin and we can have anal sex and i'll hang out with the boys and like she kind of it's like a whole monologue of like what makes a cool girl cool girl and you sell this thing only to eventually get married to that guy who wanted the cool girl but then it's like that's not your true self that's that was someone that you made that was likable for Mm. that person and then but you ultimately want to be loved and you this is starting to there was another movie that just recently came out that's like the same premise, which is just like, I forget which one I saw a trailer of it, but it's uh, it's like, this isn't me. Like, I want to yeah. live in my truth and I'm I can't be likable to you.
1: Yeah. And, and living in your truth will make you a much more specific individual, which by default will reduce the amount of people that you're going to be compatible with, which is OK. I think yes. that's that's I think, you know, it's being likable is making yourself vanilla ice cream. And you're like, well, everybody, everybody likes vanilla ice cream or what, you yeah. know, even though everybody doesn't, but you, you're trying to, you're trying to widen the net, but why I don't, I don't think widening the net in this capacity works in the long run because you're, you're looking for a forever person and right. you know, you're looking for someone to build a relationship with. So the right. specific qualities. And I think right now, most people, when they list the qualities they're looking for somebody, they're not specific to them. They're just these generic qualities and they haven't, gone through the work to figure out well why is this important why is it important to have a rich guy why is it actually important or why is it important that he's tall but why is it important that she you know wears all the latest designer clothes or whatever people are looking for in their partners and I think they have to the why is and going deeper and finding out the, the actual emotion associated with it because I'm definitely aware of the idea that like you know I have a mom that's not impressed by anything I do um no matter how well things go for me and it's like okay I can find myself you know in rooms where people who may not be as you know uh, as a public figure there are people who are enamored with the work I do and they're already fans of me and then there's people who have no idea who I am and it's I can that find that myself uh, to win them it's over
0: that, it's that joke when the when uh I forget his name I'm sorry but the man who just became mayor of London it's like yeah but his mom wanted him to be a doctor
1: yeah yeah, yeah exactly it's,
0: uh, and then you're just up against uh <laughs> This brick wall of like, uh, okay, where's where my truth here? Are you looking for a new dating experience that will finally take you off the apps? Our sponsor, First Rounds on Me, is a new dating app for people who want to cut out the small talk and actually meet for a date in person. Here's how it works. You swipe through people's profiles, and if you see someone you're interested in, you send them a date invite directly. You choose a drink, a location, a time, and then you hit send the person will receive the date invite in their inbox, and they can accept the date, reject it, or suggest a new drink, a new location, or a new time. If they accept, your date is scheduled. Now here's the twist. You can only chat on the app six hours before your date is scheduled to start. First Rounds on Me wants you to get out there, meet face-to-face, and make a real connection in person. You can only schedule one date per day and only up to a week in advance. So if you're tired of small talk, and pen pals and playing games first rounds on me is for you first rounds on me is available on android and ios head over to firstroundsonme.co or you can go to the app store and type in first rounds on me and of course there's going to be a link in the show description happy dating you say in your book that a lot of people think that love is complicated what would you tell people to make it simple
1: i think what they i think we can use a new york analogy um a lot of the things people think are love is, is just what you see on canal street you know it's those fake gucci belts so it's like you know attention affection adoration power success control um validation clout mm-hmm. all of these things you know these these aren't love you know this isn't love these are these are the fact you know these are the, the bootleg versions of love you know that 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 may look like love but they don't hold the quality of love they don't have the sustainability and the feeling of love you know love isn't Um, and, and, and I also differentiated simple from easy, you know, love is simple, not easy, but you know, love is what's left when everything else is gone. You know, you don't have to do anything to, to achieve love. You don't have to chase love. You don't have to win love. You don't have to qualify for love. Love is what's left when you clear away all the mess, you know, love is peace and, that is something that needs to be understood. And then we need to understand that, you know, we live in a consumeristic society, which is going to forever teach us to get more and more and more and more, buy shit, be happy. So we start to view love as a, as a commodity when really love is the default. And we're, and we're doing a whole bunch of mess on, on top of that. And, you know, self-care isn't self-love. You know, a bubble bath isn't self-love. Self-love is accepting yourself as you are. Self-love is looking in the mirror and looking at your body from a non-critical lens you know love is, is going easy on yourself love is figuring out how your parents messed you up not blaming them and then becoming that nurturing parent you need love is be, being that best friend that you need love is saying no love is showing your teeth love is standing up for yourself you know um Love is accepting your imperfections. Love is understanding that there is no, there is no enoughness. There is no worthiness. You don't. Humans can't be measured in terms of worthiness or enoughness. There isn't enough of a human. And and what we have to do is just challenge some of these old ideas, like this "you complete me" idea or my mm-hmm. better half idea. These aren't these are ideas that have been sold to us and they've served a purpose. Even the like the knight in shining armor and damsel in distress, like those have roots in in real life where. During feudal societies, when everybody, you know, was just living on a farm, you know, if you were a young man, your only opportunity for any type of social climbing was to go to the army and hopefully come back alive and come back a hero. And now your options for marriage have increased. And then, you know, and the lessons being taught to the women was, you know, so men is like, you know, make yourself more appealing to be chosen. And then for the women, um, you know, make yourself more appealing to be chased. And now, you know, what's the night in shining armor? Is it a Lamborghini? Is it a, is it a watch? Is it shiny dress shoes? You know, and this, this has been an interesting, like I was, I was a broke artist for years and things have only been going well for me for the last five years. And even in that capacity, coming to Los Angeles and trying to figure out, well, where do I fit in here? You know, within the first month I got hit with the, so what do you do? How much do you make? You know, I got hit with that, you know, having within the first month, not the first interaction. not the person that go to a no. Greek event,
0: man. Greek <laughs> events—they'll tell you that the check it. Well, that's the
1: moms. Those are probably the moms saying that, right? You know. No, I've to... had
0: like I got turned away at an event a couple of years ago because they were like, "Oh, you're the matchmaker. We don't want you here." And it was a, it was a, it was about. Um, I have employees that I have two employees now that live in Greece, and I was trying to learn a little bit more about tax law and stuff. Yeah. And they were turning me. They turned me away. They wouldn't. I started crying. That was like my natural reaction was just to start crying because I was just like. I've never been, I wasn't seen as like Maria, the business owner. Mm. I was belittled Mm. into this position that they don't understand. And, you know, I do well for myself. I, you know, and and so it's just like, I was like, what, what's happening? Why can't I learn? Like, you know, whatever. Mm.
1: No, it's very, it's it's very reductive. I I, I think for me, I was talking from the dating perspective. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm sorry for giving you my perspective on this one. Oh, no, no, not at all. But I, I also learned like even through therapy, like having a female therapist explain that she goes, you know, it's. It's, it's, it's an overcorrection to, it's also an overcorrection to the women who've had to take care of a man, you know? So, you know, you don't need to wear a Rolex and drive a Lamborghini. You just need to, you just need to show, you just need to signal through your clothes that you don't live in your mom's basement.
0: I mean, yeah, for me, it's like when I was single and started consciously dating for partners that I wanted to have kids with. Um, I remember that for me, the first and foremost on that list of qualities was like, I want an equitable partner. I don't need an equal partner, but I need an equitable partner. Like Mm. we come in with our own strengths and we're a team and I'm not assigning roles here. We're just going to figure it out. Whoever has to do it, has to do it like equity. Like I want that. And I feel like I got that and it worked out well, you know, we're 10 years now, but like,
1: congratulations. Thank
0: you. Um, I'm obsessed with him, Still, totally obsessed with him, absolutely obsessed with him. Another thing that you mentioned in your book is your reference to the need to like sit with your pain to experience Mm. love. Is that in reference to like being vulnerable, like understanding your vulnerabilities?
1: Understanding your vulnerabilities is also having a healthy relationship with yourself. You know, um, the, the antidote to, you know, that famous quote, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. And, you know, when you're by yourself, you can either be lonely or you can be in peaceful solitude. You know, it just depends on where you are mentally at that point. So I think I watched a comedian that said, you know, the high divorce rates are because most people get into relationships to outsource an anecdote to their loneliness when there's no solution outside for somebody's loneliness. Um, loneliness is our own, you know, our inability to stay with our own company and sit in a room quietly. And right now, I feel like in modern society, people's definition of being alone is being on their phone. You know, where they're like, "Oh, I don't want to go. I'm going to stay in." You're not staying in. You're just staying in, staring, staring at life through your phone or through it through a screen or watching TV. But like sitting there by yourself, having to hear what you have to say, having to develop a relationship with yourself and be vulnerable and hear your shit, I think that is something that people avoid. And because they avoid that, they get the dopamine from other people. And I think that's where they chase affection in the wrong directions. So sitting with pain, what I realized is um, as somebody who was raised in a household where we didn't even acknowledge the pain, um, it was disconnecting me from people who mattered. Because if, if you came to me and started sharing your pain, it would trigger my pain. And I wouldn't want to feel my pain. So I would be the guy and try to solve your pain. You know, and either I would try to come up with a solution or I'd hit you with the, Well, there's people who are worse off or I hit you with the, Like, you're not even like, you know, some gaslighting. You're not even a victim in this situation. But you weren't listening. The, yeah. The subconscious motives are just to shut the pain up, not to right. shut you up. I don't want to feel the pain. And it wasn't until very recently, probably two years ago after doing some DMT that I learned that like. That's empathy. DMT. um it's a it's a plant it's not a plant medicine it's a it's a poison from a frog that they 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 extract and then you smoke it and then you die oh,
0: shit dude i live in new jersey all <laughs> we have here is meth
1: <laughs> yeah the, the, so dmt have you you've heard of like mushrooms and yeah Iowa. so so dmt dmt is a chemical it's dmt is a short form for a very long
0: mm-hmm.
1: chemical name that i can't pronounce but our brains produce it fit over 50 percent of all living animals produce Or living things produced it, including plants and different animals. Wow. Okay. Um, And the theory is, and please don't quote me on this and attack me if I'm wrong, you are flooded with DMT the day you die. So the day you die, you will be flooded with it. That is people's I see the light. I saw my grandma. Is it? Does it
0: give you a sense of euphoria?
1: Yeah. So the, the, the theory is no matter how you die, death will not be an unpleasant experience. That's kind of what it is. And that's the hope. So yeah.
0: when you took um, this euphoric substance, uh, how did you, what were your realizations? Did you hit like the fifth level of Mazel's hierarchy, like self-actualization?
1: No. So this is what it did. is It was kind of like, it's like an inverse journey. So it's not like I went on this journey and I had to like learn lessons. It kind of just does the work for you. It breaks down all your walls knocks you out you wake up and i'm just hypersensitive like i feel everything on my skin i feel everybody's pain i feel everything and again it didn't last forever lasted for like three months and then life
0: three months
1: yeah and then life built up new walls and stuff but like yeah like sex was bananas but hearing people's pain when
0: you say bananas like positively or like negatively
1: everything was just i was just hypersensitive it was like living it was as if i was living life wearing a full body condom and someone just ripped it off and all of a sudden like like everything, I could feel everything way more. And I think what it did was whatever, whatever protective fortress I had been building up all these years, mm-hmm. I didn't realize it was a prison. And instead of me doing the important work to break down that prison and, and get escape, this DMT came and just like Kool-Aid man punched a hole in the wall. and was like, here you go. This is what life could be like if you knew how to surrender. And the first thing I realized was when people are in pain, feel the pain with them and just give them a fucking hug and just sit there in pain together. Oh yeah. And, and that's what empathy actually is. And then never, that never occurred to me in my entire life. that That's what I thought empathy was. Like, oh, you know, just understand what they're going through. It's like, no, feel it, feel what they're going through and just let them feel it. You feel it and feel it together. And oftentimes, You know especially with women if they're speaking to you they're not looking for a solution they're just looking to be seen heard and validated right and that wasn't something that you know i i had i was given growing up so i didn't i didn't truly understand oh that's such
0: a good lesson you know who taught a lot of people this lesson believe it or not aziz ansari on parks and rec oh did he yeah there's i mean that's actually a really uh, a lot of men who have watched it started using that method where he said you know he was hearing someone complain and he was just, he was telling someone like when a woman's complaining, they don't want a solution. They just want you to acknowledge their pain and just be like, wow, that sucks. Yeah. And that like my husband totally was influenced by that too. Like suddenly he was saying, like, I'd be like, well, you know, like going on my rant, he'd be like, wow, that sucks. And I'm like, yes, it does suck. Thank you. Like, I don't want your solution. Like, leave me alone. Just let me talk, you know? And Yeah. Um, so you have a wonderful smile. That's like really funny to to see you do that.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So we have a question from the audience. I'd love to take it on. So welcome to the ask a matchmaker podcast. How can we help you? Hi, I have a question about dating. So I am 30 years old and I find that every time I get myself into a new relationship and it becomes time to start getting vulnerable, they end up shutting off and not wanting to date anymore. Um, I know I come with baggage. I think everybody does, but mine might be a bit more extreme. And I just want some advice on maybe how to ease into it better, or should I just continue to be my vulnerable self? Humble, I think this question is like perfect for you.
1: Is it? So what my therapist made me do was she gave me, she said you need to have, she, she said you need to be vulnerable in every interaction, but you need to, it can't, you can't start with the most vulnerable stuff on day one. Um, But what she had me do was practice being vulnerable to strangers. And she goes, find some appropriate moments of vulnerability that you could tell a stranger that wouldn't, you know, have them running the other way. So for me, I think the two that I had were, um, the first one was about my having a dog. I had a dog, lived out his, his life, 11 years, he passed away. And then I just never wanted a dog ever again um, until recently where I have a puppy She's just sitting behind me. But talking about this idea that not, I didn't want dogs. I was afraid of the idea of losing her again. Mm -hmm. So it was this, you know, micro moment of vulnerability that you could share with a stranger you met for the first time. That doesn't feel like TMI. It doesn't feel like anything of of that capacity. Um, And then she's like, you know, come up with something deeper. you know. So then maybe if I knew someone a little bit longer, talk about my experiences with racism and how that's impacted me and how that's impacted decisions I'm making now, especially as a public figure, especially as somebody who gets more attention than he's normally used to getting in a positive light and how I can do that. So I think working your way up, I think is important in that capacity. Um, As a guy, again, I was never encouraged or taught the value of being vulnerable, even if I now, even now, as somebody who understands that vulnerability is the currency for connection, um, totally, I've even seen that as you know, especially being in Los Angeles, I've seen that being performative. You know, we've all seen people on social media crying in front of their camera, telling you a story, and like, Are you doing this to be vulnerable? Or are you doing this for attention? Um, and I think I've, I've experienced that as well. So, I think from that side, I think I don't think there's anything wrong with being vulnerable. I think probably just understanding. Capacity as well, the one thing I can say as a guy, and this is an, an, a super new realization, probably in the last couple of months, is that when I first am on a date with a a, a woman, I spend so much time trying to win her over mm-hmm. that I'm not even paying attention if she's any good for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not evaluating her women do me, this too, yeah, they get so I get so excited but I, I think the difference between men and women are if you win the man over, I don't know. I don't know how much, and, and, I, and I don't want I don't, I could be completely wrong here, but if you win him over and then now he shows an enthusiasm towards you, how often does that scare you and be like, Oh, wait a minute. I just want to win, you know? And I think for me, it's not even paying attention to any red flags or anything up until I, I scale that first wall. And right. then we pull back. And that, I think that's the definition of a fuck boy. I think if anybody wants to have empathy for a fuck boy, it's someone who's taught to win them over then figure out if they're good you know be chosen then amongst those who choose you figure out you know who's a good match for you and then that's where that pull away happens where it's like wait a minute
0: just reverse it too like you just mentioned example with women just reverse it though like how many women have pulled away from a man who's showing consistent Mm. communication patterns but because they've never experienced that they feel like i'm being smothered and i'm not saying like there are some people who are fucking psychopaths who do smother people but then there's people who are just like You know, hey, let's go out again. Why aren't you know? And then you're like, what? What what would he? We just went out on Monday. Why would we go out on Wednesday? It's like that's dating, you know.
1: Yeah, and I think Um, I've I've learned I've learned that to be a red flag in itself. And it's like, all right, cool. If you're if that that scares you, then you're definitely not a person I should be around. You know
0: what's crazy is this morning. I don't know about you, but this morning I watched like three quarters of the first episode of the new documentary Harry and Megan. And did you know, okay, first of all, this is really important. Okay. He, he slid it. He slid into her DMS or something. That's how they met or whatever. But when they went on their first date, they went out for a drink from six to seven. She had plans after, which I think is, I think some men would be like, what, especially a person with that kind of power stature, let's say like, they might be like, do you have plans after this? Like, what do you mean? Like, you know, that sort of thing. But then she wanted to see him again, instead of waiting around for him to call her, she called him the next day and was like, hey, let's go to dinner tomorrow. I'm leaving in two days. I wanna see you again. And I think like people get so scared of just living in their truth and being that kind of vulnerable. Like Megan wanted to see him again. That is a place of vulnerability. And the truth is that if he didn't wanna see her again, he would have not picked up the phone. Like I don't know. I feel like, and then to answer, you know the woman who just asked the question, one of the things that I would say with vulnerability is like the power of journaling is there. Like that helps in you, but also if you want to hack it a little bit, I have discovered that going on a vacation with just yourself and being in your own company, that can open. That's challenging yourself. That is challenging your own reality, right? Because usually when we go on vacation, we're with other people, we're distracted, whatever be by yourself, enjoy your own company. I'm not asking you to go for like two weeks, just, just three days away, but see how you feel in that, right? Like figure out where those triggers are. Every time you feel a bit of anxiety, like what's triggering that what's happening, because that's how you build not, you know, you want to be vulnerable for others, but you also have to learn to be vulnerable for yourself.
1: Yeah. And, and I think the other one on top of that is, yeah, you know, it, it sucks that you get vulnerable with a guy and he pulls away. Um, that's his story, not yours um yeah. and then also if you make adjustments and stop being your authentic self then the only reward is you get to continue not being your authentic self you know the only prize for playing any game is to keep playing the game and if that's the game you're going to end up playing to not quote unquote scare a guy away then you're gonna you'll be doing that forever and then you know finding other ways to kind of you know compromise and compensate for that i think I don't know if you guys watch White Lotus, but the second season really shows that well with the character who's definitely, yeah, the character is just definitely not in an ideal relationship. Mm-hmm. They continually have a smile on their face and they view it as, oh, well, I just, you know, I make up for it by spending his money or right. by catching him off guard and making him jealous and doing this. And it's like, oh, it's like so this is how, this is how you're, you know, this is, this is what life is now. But these are also like forms
0: of toxic dating patterns too. Like if your reaction after being vulnerable and being, you know, like you said, like them not in respect or acknowledgement of that, uh, and then you step away, uh, reacting to that by not being vulnerable next, that's a toxic dating pattern in the sense that like, now you're going to be attracting people you don't want because now they think that's the baseline when the baseline is truly something else. Um, I think that's a really good question and humble. I really liked your input. Let's get our next question. Welcome to the ask a matchmaker podcast. How can we help you? Hi, thank you for taking my question. So, um, mine is also about dating. I'm 31 and I just don't think the love of my life is on an app. Um, okay. cause I just feel like I've been attracting the wrong kind of men, but I want to pe- meet people in real life and I'm not really sure where to go. I feel like a lot of the places where I already go, um, it's usually women Um, and I love taking myself out to dinner or something, but I'm usually reading and I've been told I have RBF. And so I feel like that makes me unapproachable. And I want to know how I can, I guess, make myself more approachable to these places that I will be going to, to find a man in real life. (laughs) I love this question. Uh, just in case you don't know, humble RBF is not a drug. It (laughs) less,
1: that's right. (laughs) I mean, trust me, I, I I feel like most people look very unapproachable when they're not when they're the default, like when people are thinking yeah. they look upset. I definitely do the same thing. Um, I have a friend, uh, Matthew Hussey, who's a, a popular dating mm-hmm. advice guy, and he talks a lot about this concept of like, you know, back in the days, the women used to drop the handkerchief to show the guy that they're they want him to pick it up. And that was their interaction. And there's no modern version of that. Well, hold up.
0: There is, there is one in Greece. Oh my God. I'm going to blow your mind. Are you ready? This is like the most disgusting thing, but it totally works. So if a guy's in, if you're at a club and a guy's into you, um, and you're like, so everyone smokes, right? So, um, you've got your cigarette, you're waiting for him. So if he does his lighter and he has his finger, the second finger pointing at you while he's lighting it, that means I like you. And then if you smoke the smoke, if you blow it into his face, that means I like you too.
1: I love it. It's, see but the, the signal is there. The signals are there. The ambiguity isn't. I recently watched the guy, some dudes I saw on Instagram, they host a podcast in their car and uh, it was uh, yeah, and it was uh they're going through Starbucks and and so it's all being filmed. He he orders a drink and then the girl compliments the tattoo on his hand and they have a little brief That's interaction.
0: That's a total signal. No?
1: Wait for it. Okay. So he, he, she compliments this tattoo and he goes, oh, I think you have tattoos. And She goes, yeah, they're all covered up because of work. He goes, okay, cool. He pulls away. As soon as he pulls away, he's like, see, I don't know what that means. I don't know if she was flirting with me. I don't know if she wasn't. And then the guy in the passenger seat's like, bro, we got to go back. You got to get a number. This is the story I want to tell at your wedding. He wrapped back around, said, hey, I forgot my straw. Went there. He said, hey, I want a straw, but also I would love if I could have your number. She's like, oh, no, I have a boyfriend.
0: Okay. That's okay.
1: It, it, yeah, it's OK. It's, it's OK for the girl, but it, for the guy. Now he's going to question every single interaction moving forward because there are no clear signals. He doesn't know. He doesn't have the right shoot. No one's blowing smoke in his face. It's, and it's
0: kind of like that TikTok trend where like people show like, let me show you how I look when the man- my crush comes in and it's like this quick glance and then they look back. <laughs> Yeah, there's no I, signal. You're right. You're right. They're absolutely there. And, and in the fact, same, you know. so
1: when Matthew brought up the dropping of the, the, you know, and or even the cigarette thing, these are at least they're clear. And I right. think, you know, and I mean again, signals not even just to, for meeting people. Even signals when you're in dating, like signals to. You but see, know, why
0: do you need a signal? Okay, so I don't know if our caller. You need. You definitely
1: need a signal. Well, I, I. So the reason I was saying this for our caller is because what he mentioned was he goes sometimes it's, it's opening the door. Is opening that door in the context right. of like he's like the last he was the last person I met because I'm working at a coffee shop, and then she looked at me and she said, "Hey, looks like you had a, a hard day," but that uh-huh. started the conversation.
0: Right. And again,
1: even for men, they still don't know if a woman starts a conversation if that means she's just saying something or she's trying to initiate. And I think that's where there is a big challenge.
0: I had a go-to accessory. Uh, when I was single and I don't know, every time I wore it, men always bought me drinks. It was the dumbest thing, but you can't, you won't even believe it. It was a swatch watch, but it was like bright red and like, like a red, like a, like a blood red. And every time I wore it I mean, it was the dumbest watch It's like, it's just a watch. But I noticed that every time I wore it, a guy would buy me a drink. So I was like, okay, if I want a free drink, I'll wear it. And we're talking, I want you to know something. I'm 5'11", I'm voluptuous. I have resting bitch face too, like all that stuff. But it was like, it was kind of like peacocking from a woman's perspective. Like it was the easiest accessory to comment on without coming off as a creep. So it just started the conversation. So every time I wore it, a guy would be like, oh my God, I love your watch, which it's the, it's no, they don't, it's a swatch, we give a shit, right? <laughs> But it was just a way to open the door for me to be like, oh my God, yeah, tell me more about you. Where are you from? Like you just immediately have that conversation and figure it out.
1: Yeah, and I that, that, I think that's fantastic. And I mean, now and it's on the guy to, to make the move. And at least there's something there. But again- Now everyone's you, on
0: Google looking up not only you know, the drugs, but now they're looking up red swatches. So I, 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 I guess the way
1: I look at it is, is I look at the misconnections based off, like I think often men don't know
0: no they don't
1: they don't They're Totally know. right and, and also like
0: it's like Jimmy I mean, Fallon and Cole Kidman he had no idea
1: yeah that's 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 a, I think that's extremely common and I think also um
0: so what would you tell our caller then so like one, one thing I would do is like I don't know how extrovert our caller is but I would just I feel like I'm in go get yours like to me it'd be like I would just be really obvious In the sense of like, I would just start talking. Like if you see a guy that you're interested in, I would just go up and be like, hey, that's it. Like I would even say more. I would just be like, hey, what are they gonna say? They're not gonna say hello. You know, (laughs) Um, I know that sounds like really simplistic, but I feel like every time I'm at a social event, I'm looking around the room and everyone that's like on their phone they're all hoping someone comes up to them just to say hi and just take the pressure off of them, so they don't feel like a loser. But maybe that's just my own lived experience and perspective on this. Humble, what do you think? Am I like? No, I
1: think I think you're one thousand percent absolutely correct, and I think it is challenging just the old ways that women need to be approached. And I think at the end of the day, people don't know. I think that's the big thing. People just don't know. And
0: and don't forget, now we've got the new generation coming. In. I don't know how old you are. Are you over thirty-five? I'm forty. You're 40. Okay. So I'm 38. So you and I are basically the same age. So we have the same like cultural references. Do you recognize that people that are 32 and below have never experienced analog dating like you and I did? Yeah. That's never, they, they don't have that, like our caller right now. She does not probably remember a world where online dating apps didn't exist. Right. Um, I do remember but were you young or were you old enough to be dating? Yeah. I had a boyfriend at the time Uh, when dating apps came into, into being, and then we broke up. And then ever since then, it's basically been only, only apps. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you something. Did you know that most people are only like one or two connections away? What is the word one or two degrees Degrees away from their Mm -hmm. partner? And so some of the best advice that I could give you and maybe humble agrees is that you need to, I always tell people like, you need to expand your social network. And so one of the things that I would do, like you mentioned about going to events and it's a lot of women, I want you to hit up event right now. So first off, what I want you to do is look at your calendar for the next three months. And I want you to block out two days for the next three months. I say this to all of my women, in the agape intensive, um, and they block out two days over the calendar for the next 90 days. And then what you're going to do is you're going to go on Eventbrite and you're going to filter events for the days that you are free. And you're going to start inputting events. And this is not the place to be putting cupcake decorating classes. This is, you know, maybe Humble, you know, his book just came out. If he's, uh, you know, speaking at the Strand or another independent bookstore, you're going to go to that because I love going to independent bookstores. And when there's a author speaking, like an author reading over their book, because then you see all the other readers and the ratios are pretty good. And you're there for a common interest, or like it doesn't have to be a singles yeah. event, right? You could do tequila tasting, you could do cigar rolling class, you could get your wine license, go concerts to an improv class. Concerts are good too.
1: You concerts that artist in 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 common that you can talk right.
0: about. Comedy right, comedy clubs, like having someone who shares the same sense of humor as you. Like, there's so many things to do. You have to start in putting heavily and also make new friends because your friends suck they're not setting you up with anyone that they know so you got to start
1: yeah and you got to put it out there network. you gotta I, I think putting it out there if if you're in the process of like i am serious looking for a partner like the whole people don't know what they don't know and, oh. and putting that and, and and i and i know that just I'm i'm in the process of selling a book and just me putting it out there like hey I'm looking for opportunities to speak. I'm looking for opportunities to be on podcasts. It's it's no different than dating. I'm telling everybody yeah. my intentions now. I'm at least in the back of their mind. If if a situation pops up and, and they'll drop my name. And it's, I think it's the same thing where he's are like, Hey, look, I'm single. I'm looking for a partner. This is kind of what I'm looking for. Um, right. And and I think that'll definitely help And you need to treat your I, I like dating life.
0: Saying. Like humble is treating his book. Like he is yes trying to get his, you know, he's trying to spread the truth of love.
1: Yes. By the book, by the book. Yeah. You know, exactly
0: how to be loved. The D is in parentheses. I want to learn more about that before we close off, but that's, that's what you gotta do. You gotta, you know, finding, you know, who you marry, who you chose to be, with. that's one of the most important decisions you'll ever have in your life. And you have to treat it in that same productivity level that you would any other big decision you would have in your life. So I really appreciate your question. Thank you so much for calling in. Before we wrap up, Humble, tell me why the title of your book has the D in parentheses, how to be loved and D is in parentheses.
1: Because I think everyone's looking to be loved. And I think the the spoiler alert is the only way to to be loved is to be loved. And that's, Uh, you know, when you open the book, that's the first thing it says here is, you know, more than showing you how to be loved. uh, I'm showing you how to be loved. I love that. That's awesome. and, And that's the important idea. We're just recognizing that we are a source of love. Um, more, more so than a destination. And we're establishing pathways of love between us and other people.
0: If anyone, so if someone wants to uh, enjoy the ASMR, that is your voice, where can they find you?
1: Um, they can find me on social media, everywhere at Humble the Poet. Um, and I do, yeah, I do recognize the ASMR. That is my voice. I do have quite a few things on Audible. I'm so excited st- to. stand alone. I, I have standalone audio books. Um, in addition, I, how to be loved is coming out in audio, but I also have some other standalone audio books that I've done with my publisher, uh, that are a lot shorter, like 25, 30 minutes. Um, and I'm, I'm looking to work with some of the other platforms on the same thing, but you can I find me that. at humble, the poet everywhere.
0: I love that. I will include all of the links in the show notes, as well as a link to buy humble, the poets, uh, book, how to be loved, uh, humble. Thank you so much for joining me on the Ask My Matchmaker podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate and review. And of course, if you don't follow me on Instagram at matchmaker Maria, you can also learn all about the different programming programs and offerings that I have by visiting the link in my bio, or of course the links in the show notes. Thank you again for listening. Be lovable, but more importantly, be likable. Although in this episode, be lovable too. See you next week.